Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. If you'd like to let us know you're here, just text the word welcome to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. Just tell us about yourself, and uh, you'll get more information about The Well. Thanks for being with us this morning. And today is the second week of our new series, Clarity 2020. And we're looking back over this year, and we're asking, how has 2020 helped us to clarify the way we view our life. Is that true of you? As you look back over this year, uh, has 2020 helped you to see with more clarity your values, your uh, purpose, the way you use your time, the way you view your loved ones, your career maybe, your spirituality, maybe even America itself? And today, we're welcoming special guest Frank Schaefer as we talk about how 2020 has helped us to clarify our view of Christianity. Maybe you are someone who struggles with the type of Christianity that you see in America. It seems as though Christianity and politics have been fused to the extent that it's hard to tell one apart from the other. And sometimes, as Frank will share in this interview, it's hard to see how it could be Christianity at all. Maybe you're somebody who is watching this right now on the verge of exiting the church, or maybe you already have, uh, and, and you're struggling with what you see in America that is supposed to be passed off as Christianity. Frank Schaefer brings a very unique perspective to this conversation because he was a leader and what's referred to now as the religious right in the 1970s and the 1980s. In fact, he helped his dad create it. His father was an incredibly influential evangelical speaker and author named Francis Schaeffer. And Frank essentially helped his dad create what is the religious right, this fusion of of religion and politics in the United States. And Frank has since walked away from that and, and speaks now against that. And so he brings an Uh, an incredibly unique perspective to this conversation. So I sat down with with Frank here this week and I'm going to show you a pre-recorded interview with him. And uh, I just appreciated what he had to share. So if you're struggling with this fusion of of religion and politics in the United States and you believe 2020 has, has helped you clarify that you don't want to be that kind of a Christian, This is for you today. I'm going to give Frank a formal introduction and then uh, show you this interview with Frank Schaefer. So Frank Schaefer is a New York Times bestselling author of more than a dozen books. Frank is a survivor of both polio and an evangelical fundamentalist childhood, an acclaimed writer who overcame severe dyslexia, a homeschooled and self-taught documentary movie director, a feature film director of four low-budget Hollywood features Frank has described as pretty terrible. He is also an acclaimed author of fiction and nonfiction and an artist with a loyal following of international collectors who own many of his paintings. Frank has been a frequent guest on The Rachel Maddow Show, has appeared on Oprah, been interviewed by Terry Gross on NPR's Fresh Air, and appeared on The Today Show. BBC News, and many other media outlets. He is a much sought-after speaker and has lectured at a wide range of venues from Harvard's Kennedy School to the Hammer Museum, UCLA, Princeton University, Riverside Church Cathedral, and DePaul University. So let's watch now this interview with Frank Schaefer. All right. Frank Schaefer, welcome to The Well. We're so glad to have you on. Thank you. It's lovely to be with you all, even at some uh, COVID distancing uh, remove. 
That's right. That's right. And, and we had you out here as a guest live a few years ago in a church I planted and just loved having you there. I appreciate you, your voice, and I just have a lot of love for you. And Well, thank you so much. And I remember that where when you meet non-virtually, where do you all meet these days? Did you change location? Yes, at an elementary school nearby. Okay, because I think when we were together, we were in some kind of trampoline that's, something. That's exactly right. When you're a portable church, I mean, you, you, you use what you can. So Yeah, well, in that case with the trampolines, it was... Um, genuinely portable you know you That's could uh, exactly right i'll <laughs> go have a, a gym session afterwards which we did at times yeah yeah so we're in an elementary school now and and you know when COVID ends we'll get back there but yeah, appreciate yeah. you have appreciate you being on with us this morning and That's great uh i wanted to to begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about your story uh, as a as a leader in the religious right in the 1970s what did you experience and what did you do well, you know, as I sit here this afternoon, I'm, I'm or this morning, I'm 68, and uh, most of my time is taken up taking care of three of my youngest grandchildren, now 12, 10, and 6, who live across the street from me. And of course, with COVID, we have been sheltering together. Now they're back at school. It's a little more complicated. We try to stay outdoors most of the time. And uh, as everybody who's watching this knows, you know, we all have to find our own way through it. And of course, in, in that light, as I look back on my background, realizing that the whole COVID epidemic has been exacerbated drastically by the bad leadership of Donald Trump, or the non-leadership, to be more to the point, I feel some sort of personal responsibility in the measure that when I was a young man back in the 1970s and 80s, as you know, I was my father, Francis Schaeffer, the evangelical theologian's nepotistic sidekick. You know, the evangelical world has a lot of nepotism, as does the right wing world or the Trump family or all kinds of other um, family businesses. In my case, it was the God business, you could put it that way, because my father was a famous evangelist who became well known through the books he wrote, like The God Who Is There and Escape from Reason, How Should We Then Live, Whatever Happened to the Human Race, things that became very standard works. And the last one, that he wrote called A Christian Manifesto, really looked at the abortion issue from the point of view of civil disobedience. In a way, he was more personally responsible than anybody else in the United States, along with me helping him to make the abortion issue the litmus test that brought the religious right and the Republican Party together in a way that resulted some whatever 35, 40 years later in the election of Donald Trump. So weirdly for me at my age right now, having looked back at this past, if you had checked in with me 15 years ago, I would have said, okay, that's in the distant past. The country has moved back past that. Barack Obama is gonna become president. You know, even George W. Bush was moderate compared to where our rhetoric was taking things back in the 70s and the 80s. We're moving on. And now as I'm sitting here talking to you and, and my friends there in that church, um, far from having moved on, the Republican Party and the evangelical white voter are now one and the same. And our family did more to make that happen than just about anybody else you could talk to. Now, 30, 40 years ago, I began to ask a lot of questions and the whole tapestry kind of came apart in my hands as I began to question on the theological side, this kind of view of the inerrancy of scripture, every word is true, a literal interpretation of the Bible. And then on the other hand, the whole ugly politics of division and exclusion and hate that essentially we were becoming part of working with folks like Pat Robertson and the 700 Club, Jerry Falwell Sr. 
and Liberty Baptist and all these other guys. We were there. And then, of course, we had political connections, too. My parents would stay in the Ford White House. My, uh, my you know, I have a folder with letters from, from President Reagan when my dad died and notes from both uh, Bush clans, senior and junior, as well as Barbara and, and, and so forth and so on. So we were really tied up with it. And I come from that background. And then today, as I stand before you, I'm someone who has written and talked and advocated and, 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 and been part of the resistance against Donald Trump, bringing that extra weight of personal involvement in the beginnings of the, the merger of the religious right and the Republican Party. So mine has been a sort of a crazy long arc of a journey, 40 years plus changing camps and trying recently to undo the damage we did back then. Thank you, Frank, for sharing that. And in my opinion, you might be the best person in America to talk to about this because you've seen this firsthand. You saw how this movement developed years ago, as you said, and has turned into what it is now. You mentioned the abortion issue. Why do you think that so many white evangelical Christians support Trump? I know that's certainly sure. a big sure. reason, but there are probably more. Why yeah. do you think that is? Well, Ryan, you know, there's two sides to this story. And as someone who has been there and done that at the very beginning of these, of, uh, when these issues became what we then started calling the culture war, I have to say that there, there really is a, a misunderstanding from the left, from the progressives of the evangelical movement. Roe v. Wade, from a tactical point of view of winning democratic votes, uh, was a really bad move. Now, I'm not talking about the abortion issue itself and the right to choose and all those things. I'm talking about the politics of how it was done. Um, it, it was something that was needlessly broad in the way it was written. It did not reflect, for instance, the way the, the pro-choice uh, legislation of Britain, France, Scandinavia, Sweden, all these other countries that we think of as progressive, even socialist countries, legalized abortion in about the same time frame as Roe v. Wade, maybe a little before that in the UK, but with many more constrictions to appeal to the sensitivities of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, evangelical believers, Orthodox Jews and others. They acknowledged in the way they wrote these their decisions that, that there was a religious traditional presence in their culture that could not just be steamrolled. Now in the US, we didn't do that. We wrote it all the way up into the, in the third trimester when the state could start regulating it. It was as if the folks who wrote it were kind of in your face trolling for controversy. Well, they got what they bargained for. Now I'm pro-choice now, and I defend a, women's right, a woman's right to choose to the Hill. That said, the way Roe was approached and the kind of culture war dynamic of it was foolish. I mean, look, Ronald Reagan had already legalized abortion in California. Uh, Rockefeller had done so in New York. These were Republicans, diehard Republicans. Back in my day, Billy Graham, when we went to him trying to get him to be part of the pro-life movement, he was pro-choice. So was Dr. Criswell of the Southern Baptist Convention, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, the president of Dallas uh, Bible Col uh, College, the seminary. He was the, he was the pastor of Dallas First Baptist he was fighting fights to get evangelical professors kicked out of schools who were too soft on the scripture. He was the conservative's conservative. He was pro-choice. People don't know that now. So when the evangelicals took this hard and fast approach, as if somehow, like the Roman Catholic Church, this had always been part of the evangelical movement, it's a lie. Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, and the rest were lying. 
when they grabbed on this issue as a fundraising means to stir people up. So there's two sides to this. There's the lie the Republicans and the evangelicals told as they manipulated the issue to try to get white Christians to vote for their candidates exclusively. But then on the other side, there's the stupidity of the 1960s, 70s, cutting edge people in Planned Parenthood and the way they pushed the agenda that basically set up an irresolvable conflict that did not have to exist. So in a weird way, I'll say something here that you know, you don't get a chance to say very often, but um, in a way, if you just wanted people to elect Democratic candidates, it would be a favor to the Democratic Party for the Supreme Court to overturn Roe and throw it back to the states. Fact of the matter is most more liberal states wouldn't change anything. They would still have abortion on the books as it is today. The battle that's being fought in the South and places like Indiana wouldn't change because they're still trying to limit abortion in those more conservative states with a bigger evangelical majority. Very little on the ground would change, but it would remove this kind of catch-all litmus test. Hey, if, if 15 or 20% less of evangelicals had voted for Trump in 2016, he never would have even gotten close to the presidency. And there are a lot of evangelicals of conscience on social issues, feeding the, the poor, uh, taking care of people, medical um, needs of folks being met through the, through the Obamacare and so forth. They would have been on a more progressive side all these years, except for that one litmus test issue. So we just either have to power through this as the years go by, or it has to be readdressed if the court overturns it. But either way, um, it's t people are dreaming on the left or the right if they think this is just going to go away. It isn't. But without that, it would change everything. And I'll, I'll just add one thing that kind of proves my point. If you look at the controversies, say, about gay marriage, those gradually have moved toward the center and even toward the left with more and more people in the white evangelical community being less and less exercised by that and coming to a more open point of view, not abortion. So it isn't that the right wing is completely solidly on all issues where you could measure it, gay rights, transgender rights, gay marriage and so forth, 100% immovable. They've, they've shifted with the rest of the culture, but not on that one issue. So it's a real problem. And I don't think folks on the left or the right are very honest about it, in my opinion, either through ignorance, for instance, thinking that, that evangelical leaders have always been pro-choice, I mean, pro-life, they haven't. Christianity Today editorial board refused, for instance, to, to endorse whatever happened to the human race, the movie I made with my dad and Dr. C. Everett Koop that basically created the evangelical anti-abortion movement. They didn't want to get on board. They followed Billy Graham's pro-choice lead. Who even knows about this today or wants to talk about it? It's incredible, Frank. That's, again, that's why there's so much value in talking with you. Now, as somebody who has come through your own faith journey, from this more conservative evangelical world to uh, to thinking a lot differently now about the yeah. world, what would you say to evangelical Christians or former evangelical Christians? For example, there are people in our church who have really departed that expression of faith, and now they're they're uh, they're exploring their Christian spirituality in a more open-minded environment. What yeah. would you say to evangelicals, former evangelicals, any Christian? who is just disturbed by what they're seeing, uh, how Trump has used evangelicals and yeah. the, the attack on democracy and the free press and now refusing to concede. 
Um, what would you say to Christians who are trying to wrestle through their faith in a time when their religion has been used like this? Well, the first thing you have to understand is that um, the, the change since my time in the 70s and 80s as an evangelical leader has been radical. The, the evangelical community as it is now would be unrecognizable, for instance, if my father came back from the dead and took a look at it. Um, if you had taken the jump from where we are all the way into the Trump era in one step, my dad, Jerry Falwell, even Pat Robertson back in those days would have bailed instantly because it was all about towing a moral line in society, character mattered. Uh, they were deeply disturbed by Bill Clinton's affair, for instance, and so forth and so on. All that went away because evangelicals wanted to have judges on the Supreme Court and in the other federal judiciary to be on their side on abortion and a, a host of what they call religious rights issues, you know, not baking cakes for gay marriage, whatever it might be. The shift is so great, however, that there is no such thing as white evangelicalism in America anymore as a movement. There is a Trump cult that used to have a religious base. It is no longer religious. It has absolutely nothing to do with either a liberal or conservative interpretation of the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. There's nobody that would hold out and say the direction of the Republican Party with QAnon, with, uh, you know, the Proud Boys, with these guys gun-toting people going into state houses and folks threatening to kidnap a governor because she told you to wear a face mask to protect other people. The idea that what we started wound up here would have been ludicrous to me or my dad if you had told us this is where it's going in 1980, say. So the first thing to say is that if people are having a problem with being Christians in the environment of what evangelicalism is, dismiss the idea that this is reformable. Evangelicalism has been killed by Donald Trump, and Trump managed to do what the Romans did not do, and that is he has killed the witness of Jesus in the United States of America once and for all, finished. So that when you link Christianity to evangelicalism, it would be like linking something like Scientology to evangelical Christianity or the Communist Party of China. These are not compatible. They are, it isn't like there's been a little bit of a drift. It has died and has been replaced by a personality cult that lusts after power and not after anything recognizable as salvific or Christian or moral. And that's not a political opinion, that is just a fact on the ground. Look at a guy like Franklin Graham that started Samaritan's Purse about taking the love of Jesus around the globe, trying to follow what, follow what his dad had done, say in 1952, when Billy Graham Sr. desegregated his campaigns in the South, said, if blacks and whites can't sit together, I'm not coming to your town. In places like Mississippi in 1952, okay? And was pro-choice when Roe v. Wade came down. Imagine Franklin's journey from there to being this kind of lip, lick spittle uh, amen corner to the Trump presidency, no matter what he does. Um, try to conceive of how that would have played if you had gone back in time. So there's no problem in completely disengaging oneself from evangelical Christianity as a movement today for someone who still wants to follow Jesus. So what do we call ourselves or what do folks call themselves? Well, that's a different issue. Um, that's just a question of semantics. But in terms of having a problem with one's own faith because of where evangelicals have gone is no more of a problem for a believing Christian today than, say, looking back at the church in Germany that sponsored Adolf Hitler and voted for him, the Lutherans and the Catholics, and saying, hey, I have nothing to do with that. 
And that's not a threat to my faith because this clearly was no longer Christianity. It was Nazism. Well, similarly in America, it's no longer an issue of faith because this is not Christianity by any stretch of the imagination. It's not even spirituality. It is a hard-nosed authoritarian white supremacist movement that is a, around a personality cult um, that has just about sort of no limits of loyalty. So no matter what this guy does, uh, mishandling COVID, lying, revenge, all these other things, um, ac credible accusations by more than 20 women of assault or rape, uh, the idea that Christians would have gone along with this is unthinkable. Yeah, thank you, Frank. And, and you mentioned COVID. Here, we find ourselves now in a pandemic. We're, we're headed towards the winter time. We don't know how bad this is going to get. The numbers are going up now. And we have seen science denial. Yeah. And, and, and the anti-maskers, and you mentioned the militia, you know, mm -hmm. citing whatever reasons they have for going after the governor of Michigan. And at the same time, in the water and, and among those who are, were maybe former evangelical Christians who, who are now wholesale for Trump, there has been science denial. Yeah. How do you see the role of faith and science working together as we as we go into the future here for people who do want to follow Jesus? Uh, what's the link between faith and science that can get us out of this science denial and help us listen to doctors and researchers? Well, first things, I think you have to recognize that the evangelical white conservative movement was tailor made for Donald Trump, because to be an evangelical, you have to live in denial of fact. And you have to live in denial of science from the time you're born. This is what you're weaned on. So that whether it's the creation story or the literal interpretation of every story in the Bible, any of these things, you already have gotten used to the idea that there's two worlds out there. There's the real world, which we have to deny, we being the evangelical Christian. And then there's our world. So you're told from birth, more or less, hey, whatever they're teaching you in school, if you're in a public school, don't believe that, believe what the Bible says. There's this kind of dichotomy between the two worldviews from the get-go, kindergarten on. So evangelicals were groomed to accept alternative conspiracy theories instead of science, for instance, on any issue whatsoever. That said, when you're trying to have a spiritual life and live as someone who's following Jesus in this context, we have to understand that what we are not talking about is a philosophical or a religious system in opposition to reality. Now that should seem obvious, but apparently it's not. So that obviously the teachings of Jesus are worthless if they have to be measured against how they oppose reality. So if for instance, someone says, well, Jesus taught the sky is green. No, he didn't. The sky is blue and he knew the sky is blue. If you look at his parables, they were all set within the real world. Loans, uh, persecution, justice, all these things we face. So I think there's no problem at all if one realizes that the teachings of Jesus apply to one thing and one thing only. Our relationship with other people and with God and how we treat those relationships with integrity, with fidelity, with honesty, with compassion. There is nothing unscientific about those ideas. Scientists, nuclear physicists, whomever can live by those same stratagems and see their lives improved and work. So that um, 
just to take one little example, and I'm not trying to blow my own horn here, but the fact that I take the time I take with my grandchildren is both scientifically in line with what you see in Netflix terrific series called Babies. By the way, if you love children, don't miss that. Babies is just a wonderful series on the science of, of childhood and motherhood and fatherhood and gay love and all the rest of it. Um, and being a parent. So when I watch Babies and I realize that there are times when I would be impatient with my grandchildren, but instead I'm taking the time to be with them, I'm actually doing something incredibly scientific. I'm nurturing a next generation that is going to do better in their lives for other people long after I'm gone. This is my only real mortality or imprint. This is as scientific as it gets, but it also has all the, it is imbued with all the spiritual values of the New Testament. I mean, the literal ones suffer the little children to come to me, but all the other values of compassion and care and, 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 and putting your heart, your treasure where your heart is, which is into that generation of young children and the next people to follow us and serving them and caring for them. So there is no dichotomy between science and faith at all, unless you make in faith into something it is not which is a world political view, which is a view not of relationships between living people and a living God, but trying to turn it into an alternative system to human knowledge. It isn't. Human knowledge is part of spirituality, not the other way around. Spirituality cannot fit into this. So it's a foolish quest. It's one of the it's one of the great drawbacks of fundamentalist Christianity. Always has been. It's so stupid. It's why people got burnt at the stake. It's why Christianity turns into bullies because it can't make the world conform. So whether it's Galileo being persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church, or evangelicals being kicked out of seminaries if they question some aspect of Scripture, when you try to make it into a world historical political system or philosophy, that's the problem. Evangelical Christianity dies when it tries to become a philosophy and a politics rather than a, a mission of mercy to those around us, not in the name of just some ephemeral good works or being like Jesus. There's a better argument. It works. That's the argument. It's the same argument that, make, that science makes. And that is you do a study, you see what works. If you want to live in a civil society, which we don't have bars over our windows and are all carrying AR-15s, what you want to do is follow Jesus. That's the defense. And it isn't because you're arguing over whether he literally rose from the dead or is the son of God. It's because his teachings have actually functioned for what they are which is an ethical system of how we treat each other and how we expect God to show mercy to us as the creator in whatever way we envisage her or him. That's a totally different question. So science and Christianity are one and the same thing when it comes to spirituality. And I say again, just watch Netflix series called Babies and you essentially see in what parenting is the teachings of Jesus Christ. Any parent that didn't have access to the science of child raising that actually tried to treat their children as they would imagine Jesus would have is going to be a great parent. And any parent that doesn't is lost and no science is going to solve their problem for them. So to me, it's the exact opposite of being in conflict. These are one and the same thing. And it's about human relationships. And that's how I see it. Frank, thank you so much for being with us today and uh, for sharing your thoughts.
And uh, I view you as a guidepost for people well, who do. Well, I'm so encouraged that you're still out there kicking, Ryan. <laughs> and everybody there listening to these words, please stay healthy. And, um, you know, join me in wishing for a better moment for our for our United States of America. I certainly do. I so appreciate what Frank had to share. And if you look at this fusion of Christianity and politics in the United States and you think to yourself, if that's what it means to be a Christian, count me out. You are not alone. There are untold, perhaps millions of people around this country who feel the same way. The fastest growing religious group in the United States are the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, people who say they, they have no religion anymore. They answer none. But 75% of those people grew up in church. And maybe you feel like you just can't stomach what you see. And perhaps at the same time, you, you do value Jesus Christ and you want to explore a spiritual life that is Jesus-influenced. You really couldn't call yourself a Christian if that's what it means to be a Christian, you know, what you see around you. But you do want to live some kind of Jesus-inspired spiritual life. If that's you, first of all, I want to say to you, welcome home, because the well is full of people just like you. But even if, if you're just not ready to be a part of a church community, either on, on, online or in person, and you just want to explore more, I invite you just to continue joining us for services. You can go to our website, wellchurch.org, and get information. And you are not alone, I promise you. So uh, to close the service today, I'd like to close this in prayer. And especially if you find yourself in that camp where you just look around at, at quote-unquote Christianity in the United States and you just can't be a part of that, but you do want to explore some kind of Jesus-inspired spirituality, I invite you to join with me in prayer. And, and perhaps this is you know, the cry of your heart, uh, and you can pray along with me. And, and um, even if you have questions about God, whether there is a God, I have found in my own life that some kind of prayer and meditation helps to center me on what I really value, even with an, an honest acknowledgement of the questions I have. And so if that would be helpful, I invite you to pray with me now. Let's pray. God, thank you. For Frank Schaefer, thank you for his perspective that is perhaps like no one else's in the United States. He was, he was in the, the early part of this, this movement to fuse Christianity and politics the way that we see now. But he has turned away from that, and now he speaks from the other side to bring clarity to people like us who are struggling with what it means to be a Christian when we look around us and, and the loudest voices in the media and some people we work with and some people in our families are this type of Christian that we don't think Jesus would recognize. And, and we see this type of quote-unquote Christianity that just seems to be opposed to the teachings of Jesus. It's hard for us, for some of us, to make sense of the way we were raised. Um, we've had to spend years undoing uh, deconstructing. Some of us maybe are just beginning to enter that process and it's extremely painful and alienating. Some of us are at a point of trying to reconstruct and figure out what it is we really do believe. For those of us who want to explore what it means to, to live some kind of a Jesus-inspired spiritual life, there are communities like the well and we're not the only one. There are other churches around the country. 
with people who, who want to get beyond this, this uh, religion and politics fusion that we see in the United States. And we want to follow the real Jesus. So God, give us strength and courage to keep searching, to keep looking for those resources, to give it another chance, to connect with communities that can help us along the way so we're not alone. Help us to think clearly, to be able to figure out what needs to be let go, what doesn't make any sense, and to be able to hold on to what does and to look for answers to our questions and not give up the search. God, thank you for communities like The Well and, and people uh, like us around, around the country, really around the world, who are asking questions like this. And we thank you that we don't have to be alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.